All right, here we go. Episode 91 of Nothing to Be Fans podcast. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of different sports we have to cover. We got basketball, we got football, we got golf. So much to get to, so many different stories. Sam, I'm ready. I hope you're ready too. I hope everyone out there is ready for a big time episode today. Oh, we also have a movie review, impromptu movie review from Sam. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to that later. I thought when you said impromptu, it'd be like right now. Uh, if you, uh, Well, I meant impromptu in the sense that I'm thinking about it this second. So, ah, okay. So, if you want to do it right now, you can. But I Yeah, I just it did it. That, that's my reveal. It was all right. <laughs> all right. Um, how was your week? Oh, it was pretty good, man. Um, I had uh, – you, you remember – uh, well, I can't say his name on here, but uh, one of my good friends that graduated from Oregon a couple of years ago, he came and visited. So uh, me and my roommates, uh, we went all went out, did some fun stuff this week. Um, weather was pretty good. It's really weird. It's raining now, mm. which for Eugene would not be weird. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? You cut out a little bit, so yeah. My <laughs> my lovely mother just called me right in the middle of this, so I I didn't know if, gotcha. if you guys could hear me or not. But um, <laughs> I I clicked the red the red <laughs> phone on that one. Um, yeah, but just weather's been really fickle right here in Eugene. It's it's making me really want to leave as soon as possible. But other than that, it's been great. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, my week has been nice in the sense that school's done. Um, I am really just kind of winding down, getting stuff ready to uh, to move more than hey, anything con- else. Congratulations, man. Way to, way to graduate from Sierra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's big time. <laughs> yeah, well, I technically, uh, I technically graduated last semester, but... <laughs> Okay, well, congratulations, last month. <laughs> Thanks. So yeah. yeah, just getting everything, getting everything ready to move. Sorry, I'm a little distracted because I'm reading this report on Aaron Rodgers that just came out earlier today. I that's, so that's something else that we have to get to as well. Yeah, big um, All right, and, so, and Julio Jones destination too. Yeah, and the Julio thing. I'm just, I've got like, I have literally like five tabs open, and I'm trying to figure out. What the best order to go in? So I'll just I'll let you pick. Do you want to start with the NFL? You want to start with the NBA, or, or starting with Phil? Oh, we st- let's start with the big Phil. Let's do it. Okay, so I did a little digging, and I actually have the round by round scorecard and some statistics uh-huh. about Phil Mickelson's historic win, historic right. win at the PGA Championship at the Ocean at the Ocean Course. Now in Kiowa Island. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, so, 50 years old. Oldest to ever win a major. Mm-hmm. Now, the question, and actually, I'll get to this question after we talk a little bit about the round. So, <laughs> it was funny because I was, as I was at work on Saturday, I turned on the radio and I was listening to, I don't remember who it was, Um just some, just some sports reporter who has, I think it was called like the Pony Express because his last name's Pony. Um, it was on uh, 11, uh, 1320. And he was talking about the, him and his callers. They were all talking about how Phil and his round 
well, I guess I should say his two rounds, mm-hmm. uh, because after round one, he was two under, and then um, after round two, he had shot three under, so he had moved to five under for the tournament, and he was, they were talking about how, I mean, it was every caller, including the host, saying this is a hoax. Phil is just, he's riding the good wave right now. He's not going to continue it. He's going to fall off. All this and that. It was a whole bunch of slander slander towards uh, Phil Mickelson. And, I mean, he just goes out and he does his thing. But I think the public opinion was that, at least from what I heard, was that it, like he was not going to continue this style of golf because he seemed to be playing really reserved, really calm, really collective, not really taking a whole lot of chances, which is unlike Phil because he normally is that guy that, that kind of goes for broke. Um, and he wasn't doing any of that. He just played really calm and, and collective, and he came out with a, a fairly easy win. Can you, can you hear me, Jason? I can. I, I keep getting calls in the middle. This is the same. Well, we've been recording for five minutes, and I've gotten two calls. All day I haven't received a phone call, and in a five-minute span when I don't want a call, and you just heard that voicemail come through. I guess that was the longest voicemail my mom has ever recorded. Okay. But Phil Mickelson, right? So I, I got the uh, – and another voicemail. Cool. Cool. <laughs> another one. <laughs> so I got the pleasure of watching from – I think I watched Friday, Saturday, and Sunday's rounds pretty much all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't actually didn't get to catch Phil's opening – because uh, he started early on Friday, but I yep. watched his um, Saturday and Sunday, right? Mm. If anyone else won this, it would have been a shame because this man was the only person that was going out there and playing well on the weekend. Phil absolutely went out and grabbed this tournament by the balls and said, I am winning this thing, no doubt. No one else is doing it. And it was all on him. He was at one point. I think he was. He had so many times where he had a five-shot lead ahead of the second person, ahead of the whole field. Even I mean, he he was going under uh, double digits, under uh, par at one of the hardest courses in the country, and he was playing like it. Where guys were just not only the winds were tough, not only. If you don't hit in the fairway, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> but also yeah. the greens were running so fast that guys could just not – they were missing sitters. Like it was some of the worst putting performances. I, I've, I've uh, listened to Brooks who finished second, and it was really good to see him battle back from his, uh, his knee surgery just a couple months ago to where now it's looking like we might get the Brooks of old where he's competing in majors, and that would be really nice to see. But – he had, he said it, he had the three worst putting performances in back-to-back rounds that he's ever had in his career. That's what he to, said? That's what he said. That he putted the worst that he ever has in his whole career these last three, the last three days of the tournament. That's what, that came from Phil. No, that came from Brooks. Oh, from Brooks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brooks said that Phil yeah, was, I was like, <laughs> I, No, I thought, I, I thought you were saying that Phil said that. No, no. I was like, I have some stats here that would beg to differ. No, he, by far, Phil was, Phil was amazing. Okay, but 
but but it's great to see Brooks play well this this tournament. Um, but he, if he won, it would have felt wrong. I was sitting there, um, sitting there with my roommates, and I was like, if Phil somehow finds a way to lose this thing, because he was up by four strokes, five strokes most of the day. Um, I think it got as close to two towards the end there. But it was like, if he finds a way to lose this, I'd feel so heartbroken because it would have been one of the biggest collapses we've ever seen in golf. And I'm so happy that it didn't happen because he deserved to win this tournament for how well he played. His short game was amazing. And the guy's driver, it was mostly on Saturday was phenomenal. I think he probably, he probably only missed like five fairways maybe on Saturday, but he's hitting. I can tell you exactly how many he missed. He was hitting farther than anyone in the whole in the whole tournament. And he's 50 years old. That is amazing. So a couple things to, to put to just to put some numbers behind what you're saying. So in terms of birdies, he led the entire tournament. He finished mm-hmm. with 22 birdies. So you had six in round one, six in round two, and then five in rounds three and four. So he was first with birdies. He was actually 81st in pars but that doesn't matter because he was well it's because he got so many birdies yeah he got so many birdies on so that. you can't get so many pars if you right exactly yeah. exactly so he actually so he in terms of uh shots gained throughout the entire tournament he oh led let's hear the, it he led the entire tournament with 14 Ooh. 14 shots gained throughout the entire tournament and that is that that's taking into account his final round where he was negative, negative 0.3 in that category, and he still finished first with shots gained at 14 throughout the entire tournament. Now, you had mentioned his driving distance. Um, just his mm-hmm. average drive was about 313 yards. That was tied 21st in the tournament. His longest drive was 366, which came What was it? S- it was the par 517? Uh, I don't have the hole, but it was a 366-yard drive on uh, in round four. Yeah, um, it was the last day. Brooks hit a three, yeah, 361, I think it was, drive right down the middle. And it's like, okay, this is a little pressure. I think Brooks had just birdied the hole before as well. And then Phil just goes goes up there and outdrives him. It was like, oh, this right. you, you knew that, that – like, if you could see clutch – that was Phil all day on Sunday. Here's the thing, though. You had mentioned that his driving was really good. His accuracy on the course was actually really poor. Mm. So for on in round one, he only hit six of 14 fairways. It was 42%. It was on Friday. It was on Friday um, on round two where he had his best round. He had 11 of 14 fairways. 78%, but then the other two days, collectively, on Saturday and Sunday, he was only 50% on both of those days. He had 7 of 14 fairways. So he only averaged 55% of the fairways. He was tied for 101st in the tournament for driving accuracy. So where he won was really on the green. I lo- you, They have stats on how many putts he had per green. Mm-hmm. Just the average, he was tied 6. It was 1.6 putts per green throughout the entire tournament. And then I mentioned that he was first in birdies as well. Um, so it, it seems 
it seems to me that it was really around the green that he won. In terms of when he shots gained a, uh, right here, approach to the green, he was tied fifth in that category. Well, um, you see, uh, I think it was the, I think it was the Saturday round where he hits out of the, the um, quotations bunkers in the fairway, <laughs> but there was no bunkers on the ocean course apparently. So it was in the sand, and he hits it to like two feet or something like that. Um, that was the big shot. That was the shot of the day of that that Saturday Saturday day. And then the par three, can't remember what hole it was on on Sunday, but it was the one that he holed from the bunker. For for birdie, mm-hmm. do you remember seeing that? And that just, just um, and then the the last part three of the of the tournament that he had, where he hits it, he pulls it, hits it past the green into the shitty area, sh- totally short sides himself, little green to work with, and puts it to like a a foot. And it's like that for any other player that could go so seriously wrong, but Phil just stepped up there and just put it. Left it no doubt. And, and the it was funny like, thing is, wow. The funny thing is, is, so he finished six under for the round. But if you go back to round one, he got off to a really rocky start. Like at one point, he was he was three over on hole six in mm-hmm. round one, and he finished the day. So on hole six, right? He <laughs> well, he he pretty much started playing well after hole six because. On round one through hole six, here's what he had. He had a bogey, par, birdie, bogey, bogey, bogey. That's how he started his round. Mm -hmm. And then he was three over. And then from seven on, he had one, two, three, four, five birdies and all pars the rest of the way. So he got off to a really rocky start. And then the rest of the day, he was was totally fine. He was totally fine. That was the story of this this course, though. It was playing like... It was um, holes, I think it was 6 through 13 were downwind, and those were the holes that guys were really scoring well on. And then the other holes, like uh, 1 through 6, or 1 through 5, and then um, uh, 14 through 18, you really just had to survive and try to get a par. Right. But it was like guys were really trying to attack uh, 6 through 13. And wasn't this the longest course? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. by by quite a bit too, right? Um, I don't know what oh, it's compared. Have... It might be compared to like Oakmont or something. But oh, I got it right here. It is. It was. We'll measure at seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-six yards. I mean, the longest course in major history. It was. Um, what second? Do you got it? Um. Says some two hundred yards longer than when the South Carolina venue last held the PGA Tour Championship in two thousand twelve. <laughs> oh, so oh well, I mean, it didn't. We don't know if it broke its own record, but right. But yeah, so seven thousand eight hundred and seventy six yards. So just to put that into perspective, I mean, like just courses that you see around, probably where you live, unless you live close to a PGA course, like they're probably like six that like. 6,500 yards, maybe. 6,800 yards. If that. Some of them are probably much shorter than that. Oh, so Aaron have... Hills was the sec- in second place. Um, so... <laughs> I know that's not, not super big. <laughs> it's not super important, but... I, I know, but still, like, just just the fact that... I mean... Yeah, what is... Just um... in comparison to, like, an average course length, 
in just like let's say Roseville world. Yeah, what does Diamond Oaks play? Um, give me one second. Diamond Oaks yardage. Let's see. It is. Let's see. Okay, so from the Blues, it is yeah. So six thousand one hundred and seventy-nine yards. That's almost two thousand yards longer. Think about that for a second. Uh, two thousand. What is that's, that? That's close. Woo! I mean, in actuality, it's more like seventeen hundred yards. But I mean, still, so that's it's every single hole. If you added at Diamond Oaks, if you added a hundred and ten yards to every single hole, that would be the Ocean Course at Key Island. Yeah, that's nuts. That's so nuts. you're. You hit a great drive, and you think you have a wedge, but then in actuality, you have like a six or seven iron. Yeah, and it's like, well, this is a par four. What am I supposed to? What am yeah, I supposed to do? Exactly. So yeah, this oh. is an incredible weekend for for Phil Mickelson. And the most improbable of victories, I feel like, because it's been eight years since he won his last major, and even that major felt like really the last hurrah of Phil. Right. In um, the, when he won the Open in twenty and twenty thirteen, so to, question... to win eight years later, and he just he just got put on the Champions Tour. He just had success on the Champions Tour. Like, it's just crazy how this came out of nowhere. Yeah, and the question that came up that I heard yesterday was, whose victory, whose victory, whose championship? was more impressive at their age. Was it mm-hmm. LeBron James winning last year at 35? Was it Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at 43? Or was it Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship or a PGA Tour event at age 50? Um, tell me tell me what you think. I don't think it's LeBron because I, I don't think, think he's going to do it, do it this year. I don't think it's LeBron either. Um the Brady, the Brady thing is really tough because, yeah. I mean, you just don't see quarterbacks playing at that high of a level for that long, so that's really tough. But there is a lot of randomness in the NFL playoffs. You know, like with Phil, he had to say, first of all, he's completely by himself, so he doesn't have anybody to rely on. Plus, do you think it's to harder that- to win a Super Bowl over a major championship? I think it might be. Maybe. It's tough oh. because mm. it's tough yeah. because you think about like the Buccaneers and Brady. Mm-hmm. Like they Brady had the benefit of having a really good defense. And the defense was a major reason as to why they won the Super Bowl in the first place. I know I know Brady played well and Brady got them there, but the defense was a juggernaut throughout pretty much the second half of the year and through the playoffs. So with Brady, he's got a supporting cast around him that is really, really good. Now with Phil, you know, you have to maintain that level of consistency all by yourself. You got nobody to rely on. Plus you got to do it for four rounds and you have to, (laughs) I know it seems, I know it seems silly to compare the physicality of football and golf, but I mean, he's walking that course four times in a row and he's got to stay dialed in for 72 holes mm-hmm. over the course of, you know, four days. That's mentally, that's ex- extremely draining. And physically, I mean, 
for those of you who've never walked 18 holes, it's not that fun. <laughs> like you got to really love golf um, to want to walk 18 holes, and you really got to enjoy the people especially a uh, especially a close to 7,000 yard course. Right. Exactly. Well, no, it, oh, it close to 8,000 yard. Oh, was it? Was it yeah, seven? It was seven thousand eight hundred. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oopsie. So I don't know. I I think it definitely comes down to Brady or Phil, and I think I might be leaning towards Phil. Maybe, at least as of right now, I'd have to give it more thought. But just on the spot, I think I'll say Phil. I would lean towards Phil. Yeah. Cause I mean, this wasn't the best we've ever seen Brady play. It wasn't. This might be one of the best times we've seen. Like, Phil's game might have been the best it ever has been in this tournament. Just the way that, how difficult this tournament was playing, how it totally just ate up the rest of the field. Um, and then he just, he tamed this course so well. It's just, it's weird. I guess it would have to go to um, how physically demanding the sport is. I Definitely, you can't argue that the NFL is is less physically demanding than um, golf would be. It's a little closer because of the position that Tom Brady plays. I mean, quarterback, he's not getting hit every single play. He gets hit probably – he got he got hit probably less than two times in that, in that uh, Super Bowl with how good that offensive line was playing. I can't remember actually how many times they sacked him, but um, I would have to go with Phil – for this time, and then if Tom wins, somehow wins this year, then that's just nuts. Yeah, if they go back to back, then that would be that would be. But, but they won't because the NFC is so good this year. So yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna repeat. The NFL well, is actually. We went over it last last week with making the ten teams, but there are so many good teams in the NFL this year. Well, yeah, I mean, and if you just go down the AFC, if you look at how many. Um, like young quarterbacks there are in the AFC. It, it's just riddled with with good quarter with good young quarterbacks. Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincy, Cleveland, now Houston. I mean Deshaun is we don't even know what's happening with Deshaun right now, but if we're including him in the conversation. Well once he comes back to on the, the field. Though, yeah, on yeah. the field. Deshaun, Wentz, I mean, um, Patrick Mahomes. Right, so Mahomes, you have Herbert. Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence, Herbert, Tua, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, and I just pretty much went through the entire. Derek Carr's one of the oldest quarterbacks in the AFC. And I don't even. It's think one of the worst. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but you just... he might be the worst. He's better than Baker Mayfield. I'll give you that. He's better. Than, he's better than Denver's quarterback right now. He's be- he's True. better than all the rookies. Um, would you take him over Ryan Tannehill? Ooh. Don't dude. <laughs> That's tough. No, they're pretty close, dude. I'm Tannehill is no slouch. Tannehill has had a They're actually really career. close. I feel like that's Carr's comparison is Tannehill. I feel like that's kind of where he he's around that area. He's a Tannehill's a little better as a runner, right? He's a little more of a dual threat. Well, Carr can, he just doesn't. But Derek often. is definitely way more accurate. Uh, Derek is more accurate, yeah. That's tough, man. Yeah. I'd probably take Tannehill just to spite you. Wow, okay. 
just not to give you the satisfaction. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, there are so many good quarterbacks in the AFC, and then you just go down the NFC. I mean, the Cardinals probably are going to be good. Who knows what Carolina does. If Fields plays well, Chicago might be really good. Dallas, I mean, they're weird every year. If Rodgers stays in Green Bay, obviously Green Bay. The Rams, Minnesota, who knows what's going to happen with New Orleans. The Giants have a phenomenal defense. Who knows if Daniel Jones is going to play well. Sam, obviously, Sam, the whole NFC West, um, Tampa and Washington, there are a lot of good teams in the NFL right now. The NFL is really riddled with talent. And I guess since we're, well, I, we'll come back to the NFL because we do have to talk about um, the Aaron Rodgers story that came up today. But we do need to get to the NBA. Um, well, can we, can we put, a, put a, just put a bow on this whole Phil Mickelson story, yeah. man? Yeah, I mean... One of one of the most impressive victories in a while, just in sports. I mean, I know we just talked about the Tom Brady thing, but this Phil Mickelson thing, it it felt really special. And for a tournament that didn't have Tiger Woods, I mean, I believe Phil Mickelson drew six point five million viewers. I believe wow. that's what the number was. Um, uh. Let me double check, but I believe he drew 6.5 million viewers. Is he the second biggest name in golf? Um, he might be. He might be. Uh, he's certainly he's certainly one of. I mean, with Tiger gone, you got to look at a guy who can draw in the viewership. He's certainly the other guy who can bring in that type of that type of audience if he's playing well. Because he brings in those people that watched him back in, back when he was really putting together some major championship uh, victories together. Yeah, so right here it says Mickelson, and this is coming from um, CNBC. So this is Mickelson, 50, won his sixth major championship and beat out two-time PGA champion uh, winner Brooks Kepka. Uh, both golfers finished tied for second. Oh, yeah, because... Uh, uh, Louis Stephen. Yeah, yeah, that's the other guy who finished. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the final round averaged 6.5 million viewers during wow. its Sunday afternoon coverage. The round peaked at roughly 13 million viewers between 7 and 7.15. And it was competing yeah. with the Laker game, too. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Said by comparison, the final round of the 2020 event averaged 5.1 million viewers and only peaked at 6.8. So this one peaked at 13 million. What was that last year's? Is that what it said? Yeah, last year. Yeah, Hmm. last year's. Well, they didn't. They have. Oh, that was the. Yeah, that was the Colmar Keller one. Yeah, that's right. So. Oh, speaking of which, the fans. Was a that was a huge improvement having the fans there. Yeah, it was good to see. Just it was taking like see. looking at a split shot of last year's PGA Championship to this year's, it's such a stark difference with having fans there, especially cheering on Phil and everything, and how much of like a fan favorite he is. Well, golf is one of those sports, and we had talked about this before that at least when you're watching it, it feels really weird when there's no fans there because you're so used to when a putt goes in, people clapping. 
you can't pump artificial noise onto a golf course. So it's just silent. Right. So having people there, yeah, definitely, definitely made a difference. Watching Phil place. watch walk that um, that 18th with all those people surrounding him was so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's like every single person in South Carolina was on that 18th <laughs> hole mm-hmm. watching him. That's Absolutely. what it looked like. Absolutely. So congratulations to Phil Mickelson. I know you're listening intently and we, we just want to say, you know, hopefully, hopefully you win another one. Let's not make this the last one because it's good for golf when Phil is playing well. Yeah. Let's get a tiger uh, Phil final pairing in one of these majors. I know. Let's just get tiger back healthy, playing well. And then, yeah, that'd be great. Can you imagine? Who, who knew that Phil at, He's going to be 51 next month. Yeah. He is in a better physical condition than Tiger is. At, yeah. What is Tiger? 48? 47? Um, stand by. Stand by. He is 45. 45? He's 45. If Tiger was to somehow still be in the PGA Championship when he's 50... And ends up winning, that would be nuts. Well, can you imagine the storyline if if Tiger comes back from from the, obviously the big accident that he had off off the golf course? If Tiger comes back and is healthy in a year or two and is playing well in a round, and Phil at I don't know, let's say fifty two at this point is playing well, and they're both playing well in a tournament at that age. Yeah. Can you imagine the amount of people that are going to be watching that? That's going to be insane. I don't know how many. I don't know how many years Phil has left in him. He might. He might play. Oh wait, who, who's going to last longer, Phil on the PGA Tour or Tom in the NFL? Oh, that's a great question. I great think the question. odds are probably in Phil's favor because there's less of a chance, probably, for an injury. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the guy who probably wants to play longer is Brady. <laughs> uh, um, just because I don't know, I just whenever you hear him talk about him retiring, he just feel I feel he, it feels like he's in no mindset of stopping. He's obsessed about football, especially if he wins the. Well, okay, so do you think if they let's say hypothetically they won the Super Bowl this year, would he walk off on that? Or would he want to go for another one? I don't know, dude. This would that dude, be enough? I don't even want to pretend like I know what's inside Tom Brady's head. But Right, exactly. Um, I feel like he wouldn't. I feel like he'd be like, well, I'm just getting started. I, I know. He I feel, seems I feel that competitive. Way. I feel the same way. And it feels like he loves football that much that he'd just be like, cool, yeah, I'll just add another one and we'll keep going. Yeah. How's it taste? How's that taste, Bill? <laughs> oh, so, you like that? That's a good question. That is that a is good a, question. Yeah, I think it's got to be Phil. Well, I, it's it's hard to tell because um, Phil has lifetime membership to the PGA Championship, the Masters, and the Open, right? Because he's a former champion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that counts as being on the PGA Tour. Right. You know, so. 
I, feel, I feel like Phil could outlast Tom. I feel like he could too. And I just feel like the like I said, I feel like the odds are in his favor just because of the whole injury thing. But Tom's been healthy his entire career, pretty much. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Good talk, uh, dude. Yeah, we don't talk. I mean, it's nice to talk about a different sport other than football and basketball. Yeah, I can't wait for tennis to get back up and running. Oh, I know. We're gonna be knee deep <laughs> in tennis. Just letting you guys know. <laughs> I was talking what? to I was talking to um, somebody the other day, and we were talking about high school, and I said, you know, if truthfully going back to freshman year, if I had a choice, I may have tried out for tennis and just played tennis in high school. I think I would have done. I would have done golf if I could have if I could have done volleyball and golf. Oh, yeah, I that would think have been the best. For, and I don't know because I think it took that was a is that an end of the year. I think it's a spring sport. Okay, so I would have been okay. So it would have been basketball, tennis, but tennis would have conflicted with golf because <laughs> I would have wanted to play golf too. <laughs> um, yeah, but now yeah, tennis is something that I. I would have liked to have picked up early on because I feel like that would have been such a fun sport to play. I've only played it um, once against you, and I had a blast. <laughs> I think the French Open is uh, is coming up. Oh, perfect. Well, just letting you guys know, we'll, we're going to go back to a closet tennis show here in, in a little while. So. Oh, I think it started. But for the time being, <laughs> we'll fill our time with the NBA. Oh, because... Wimbledon in June. There we go. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Just letting you guys know it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Big old forehand swing on its way with tennis. All right. Um, so the NBA. The NBA. Before we even – we don't even necessarily have to dive into each game because I know I didn't watch the entirety of each game. I watched uh-huh. most of most of them. But just in terms of – the first eight games, so let's just say, we're not even going to talk about necessarily, um, we can dive into the Heat Bucks series and then the Nuggets Trailblazers one because at the time that we're recording, they're the only ones who have played their second game. So let's just stick with the first games. What were your first takeaways from the first eight games of the NBA playoffs? Um, is is interesting. It seemed like a lot of, a lot of potential upset alerts. Yeah. I think the um, the fact that that Memphis won beating Utah, the number one seed in the whole in the whole playoffs, uh, without Donovan Mitchell, of course, but the, just the fact that Memphis got that that win, something that not a lot of people, I'm assuming, thought, saw coming. Dallas upsetting the Clippers. Uh, you saw Portland beating Denver early. I think Phoenix beating L.A in the, the way that they did was very surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Washington played well against Philly for most of that game. Uh, Miami. Celtics. Yeah, you, Boston without Jalen Brown was tight for a lot of that game. I think Brooklyn pulled away, right? Towards the uh, end. Uh, yeah, it was 104 to 93. Um, and then Miami went to overtime with Milwaukee, and that was a great game, and then they just mm-hmm. got – spanked by Milwaukee oh, in game yeah. two. But, <laughs> but yeah, there was just a lot of those. You touched on it last last, epi- last episode, but the Lakers, if they're going to be vulnerable, it would be in this first series. Will every team, these these uh, favored teams, when they're going to be vulnerable, is game one. And we really saw that play out 
in most of these series. Yeah. I think so. What do you think was the most surprising, I guess, quote unquote, upset in the first round? Or not the first round, the first game. Um, I think Dallas winning. Yeah. For me. Um, I just thought the Clippers would be able to flip that switch. They hadn't been playing well coming into the playoffs, and I thought, well, like they know they know something's going on. Like they know what they need to do, right? They're they're just doing this on purpose. And then Dallas kind of controlled that game against them. And well, truthfully, Clippers didn't play well, obviously, right? But Dallas played out of their mind. The fact that they got contribution that much contribution from Finney Smith and Hardaway. And Luca went off. Like there were so many things that went right for that Dallas team that if you're the Clippers, it's like, well, there's nothing we can do at this point. But I think that was a pretty big shocker. I didn't see Clippers losing that first game. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny because Karma's a bitch, and the <laughs> the Clippers they tanked their last two games to avoid the Lakers and to get. The Dallas Mavericks, they they chose this route. They chose to be where they are, and they chose to meet up with Dallas. And I have to believe that Dallas saw that and went, okay. And I, I, I got to believe they took that personally. And Dallas was playing well to end the year, too. They were. They were, and they came in, and they just they just slapped around the Clippers. They really did. Um, they played so, so well. Um, yeah, so I agree. I think that I think the Mavericks upsetting upsetting the Clippers in that first game was surprising. It's funny because I feel like the obvious answer would be the Lakers and the Suns because if you're not if you don't pay that close attention to the NBA and you look you go oh well Phoenix is a two seed and the Lakers are a seven seed. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. but you know I think the Lakers are only there because of the season that they've had with injuries. Now, Phoenix is no slouch of a team. Phoenix is nope. good. Phoenix mm-hmm. is really good. And that game to me, I don't think that game was a fluke because I think Phoenix is really good. And I obviously think the Lakers are really good. I think that the Lakers just, they're just not right yet. Um, I, and the thing is, is I don't know how long it's going to take them. To get right mm. now, I know Anthony Davis had oh, a horrific night. <laughs> he only had 13 points and, and seven rebounds. Wait, who's he, Anthony Davis? <laughs> is he DeAndre, a basketball player? He's DeAndre Ayton's bitch. At least he was in that game. Man, he um, was he was carrying DeAndre Ayton's purse the whole game. I know, dude. DeAndre Ayton had 21 points and 16 rebounds. Hey, he more hey. than doubled. Hey, Anthony, Anthony, go sit over there while I get this <laughs> offensive rebound over your head and put yeah. that bucket in, okay? I stand know, over right? there. Stand over there with your six rebounds looking ass, three rebounds in the last one minute of the game. Yeah, yeah looking that. ass. Brow and, looking ass. <laughs> and LeBron, LeBron didn't have a great game either. Yeah, he had kind of an off game. LeBron only had 18 points, um, 18 points, seven assists, and 10 rebounds, which on for anybody else would be like, oh, it's a great step line. But that's not – for LeBron. LeBron. But he looked healthy. That was the big thing. He did. Yeah, he did look better. He did look better. Um, except for that stupid. I mean, did you see the flop? <laughs> that, oh, my yeah. God. 
his so shoulder saw, flop. So I saw something the other day that made me laugh out loud. Who do you know what batter just got hit in the face with a baseball, um, like a fastball, and like broke oh, no, his I nose no, the I other day? So there was some, I good God. Okay, so um, there was. Let's see if I can find a quick, a quick. Oh, Grayson Griner? I don't know. For what team? Um, oh, no. This is from – dang, this was from March. There was – oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. On, yeah, so he's on the Mets. His name is um, Kevin Pillar, Pilar. Yeah, um, yeah. Whichever yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, former, former giant, Kevin Pilar. Yeah, Pilar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he broke his nose cause he got hit by a, a fastball uh-huh. and there was something that I saw. Remember when LeBron got poked in the eye a few games mm-hmm. ago? By, by Drummond, the dirty yeah, son so, of a gun. So somebody had clocked how long LeBron laid on the court mm-hmm. after getting poked in the eye. And it was like a minute or like 90 seconds, something like that. And yeah. then they clocked how long Pilar laid on the ground after getting hit by a pitch, and it was like 25 seconds. Well, Kevin Pilar is built different, dude. No, but still, I mean, it just lends to the idea of, you know, like LaFlop and Whoa. just laying on the ground for, for 90 to 60 seconds because he got poked in the eye, and then you have this guy who got his face shattered by this. Fa- Look up a picture of his face. No, this I guy, saw it. I did see it. Yeah, and he, you know, he's laying on the ground for like twenty five seconds. Gets up and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good. My face." I saw that. I saw that picture, but I didn't realize that's what it was from. Uh, what do you? So you're talking all this smack about the Lakers. They're about to play tonight. Of the, we're recording this on Tuesday. What? Where do you? What do you see this game looking like? I think they come back and they throw a, a haymaker at the Suns. I think they win this game. So, um, LeBron putting up what like. 25, triple dub, AD I don't think coming it's back. Come from LeBron. I think it, I think AD is going to go nuts. Okay. I think he's going to be pissed. He's going to he's going to make DeAndre Aiden his little purse dog. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I I mean the Lakers they did this last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they they lost the first game of like I think two separate series of um, the Portland and the Houston series. Yeah, and then they swept the rest of the way after that, right? Yeah, they both won those. They won those series in five. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna sweep Phoenix from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I Chris think, Paul injury is kind of big, though. Yeah, I really hope that doesn't linger for for the Suns' sake because it would stink to have Phoenix, who played so well this year, and Booker to finally get to the playoffs and get this. I mean, to get some real. I mean, Phoenix doesn't get a lot of primetime games. Nope. To really get some exposure and show the world how good he is, and I think he did in that in that first game as well. Yeah, he played really well. Where is the stats? Right, he had thirty four points, eight assists, seven rebounds, played forty five minutes of that mm-hmm. game. Um, and yeah, so as Chris Paul is, if that injury does linger, which I I don't know, um, it's, it's, I'm looking at an article right here that says severity of Chris Paul's stinger injury can vary. Um, so I'm not sure. Hopefully that's not that big of a factor because if it is, that's going to stink for the Suns. I don't think they'd have a shot if Chris Paul's not playing. 
that sinks for Chris Paul too. We think about the last time he was in this prime time position in the playoffs with Houston. He has those hams that hamstring injury that really derailed their success as a team. Like it just this guy can't catch a break in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but I think I think LA throws a haymaker at the Suns tonight. I'm not I don't know. I don't think they're gonna win by like twenty, but I think they um I think they take care of the Suns in this in this in game two. And then after so, that we'll we'll see what happens. So if the Lakers end up losing how big is the panic button? It's tough because you never – I mean, when you have LeBron and you have AD, you'd like to think that even if you're down 3-0, you could still win the series. But at that point – see, it, okay, so if they lose tonight, then I think – I think the panic button will depend on how they lose because if AD and LeBron truly are healthy and they look healthy, let's say they both go out there and they both have like a 25-point game. Mm-hmm. And LeBron's got a 25 eight and nine and AD has like 32, 10 and like four and they still lose. I think then you really do have to panic. But if for whatever reason, if Anthony Davis still just looks not 100% and LeBron, I know he looked good, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if he, if he, if for whatever reason he doesn't look all that great, then, then I think you, you don't panic as much. It's just a different type of panic. You're just worrying about what the timeline for their health is going to be. Because if you feel like they're going to be fully healthy for game three, like they're both going to be fully healthy for game three, I think even if you're down 2-0, but you know that they're going to be ready, then you're fine. But so I think I think more than anything, the panic button only is going to get pressed if Anthony Davis, I think it's going to be determined on how he plays. Because LeBron is not going to be enough to beat Phoenix. And if Anthony Davis, just for whatever reason, can't be 100%. So I I know that's kind of a vague answer, but I think the panic only only gets hit. It's a hard question. Yeah, I think it only gets hit if Anthony Davis um, plays well and they still lose. Yeah, I think – so I think you, you're. I'm definitely along that same lines. If they lose this game, no matter what, there's going to be a panic felt by fans and put on by like social media. Like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling in LA. They're down 2-0. No matter what, no matter what the game looks like, I think it would be more encouraging if I was a fan of that team to see the first scenario where LeBron plays well and AD plays well. Because then you know, hey, you know what? Next game, I, I know what I'm getting from those two guys. It might just be a couple other factors. Maybe KCP needs to hit some shots. Maybe Kyle uh, Kuzma needs to hit some shots. But I I at least have that guarantee that LeBron and AD are back in it. And they, they flipped that switch. That would be know. more reassuring to me than seeing – a Disney, your max player, putting up another goose egg. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but then I feel like I would look at it and go, "Well, crap!" Like LeBron just, LeBron and AD gave it their best swing, and we still lost. Well, that's not their best swing. LeBron could go for no, but I'm, 40. I'm saying I'm saying tonight if 
they if if in our scenario that we're laying out, if Anthony right. drops thirty and James has like twenty five and they still lose, I feel like for me that would be a bigger panic button than if Anthony goes and and is like eighty percent but comes back after the game and goes, yeah, I, I felt better, but I really feel like I'm gonna be ready, ready for game three because then it'll be like, okay, he's still not a hundred percent healthy. And we can maybe hang our hats on the fact that, you know, we lost this game because he's not ready, but he says he's going to be 100% ready for game three. Series starts game three. Right. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's, there's going to be panic either way, but I think there's yeah. going to be levels. But I think, to, but think but, about like, think about the message that's sent as if your leaders aren't even playing well, that is way more concerning than if a role player isn't playing well, right? So, like, say you're on the team and your two leading scorers play really awful in, in the first game of the season and you're coming out that, that second game of the season and they score really well, but you end up losing, losing a tight game to, say, a school rival, right? In, coming into that third game, are you – Aren't you more confident of your team's ability to play knowing that those two guys are right rather than having that uncertainty of those two guys? I don't know. I guess because I guess I look at the different the different teams that I've been on because with Roseville, you know, we had two or three guys who are who were our leading scorers. And Mm -hmm. then when I was playing for YBA, I was one of those guys. Um, So it was one of. So no, it was just a different style. Of, it was just a different, different style of offense. But, Got a know, couple if, more, couple more free throw attempts for YBA then. Uh, well, dude, we just we ran. No, so I know, much. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so so at Roseville, I think for me it'd be one of those things where I just went into the game and I was like, okay, you know, this guy and this guy, they're not, they're not hitting it. We got to find another way to win. So, and I don't know. I I guess I never really. It wasn't a panic button for me. It was, okay, option one and two aren't working. There is an option three. We just have to find it. It may be hard to find, but there's another way that we can win this. We're going to either win it on defense. Maybe we got to draw some more fouls. Maybe we got maybe we got to start, you know, drawing up different plays and going to different people. I don't know what it's going to be. We'll adjust. If you're not playing well, then we'll find a different way to win. Um and you just you just kind of gotta go with it that way. And if you, I, I don't know, I, and maybe that's just me, but um, there was never a panic button per se. If our leading scores weren't on, it was like, okay, well, what's Plan B? Okay, well, Plan B is not going to work. What's C? Um, so I don't know. May, may, that was just sort of like my philosophy with mm. with the whole thing. Um, it's like there is another way to win. There isn't one way to win a basketball game. We'll find another way. It just might take, like, whatever this second option is going to be, we need to figure it out now. Um, so it's not a panic of, oh, crap, option one isn't working. It's a panic of how quickly can we figure out what plan B is going to be. Um, and you have to figure that out <laughs> probably within – you know, the first quarter if you realize Davis isn't playing well. But then again, he could come back in the second half and just have like 30 in one quarter. <laughs> um, totally. He's very capable of doing that. 
So you can't just go who's, away from him. Who's in a worse position right now, the Clippers or the Jazz? I'm going to say the Clippers because I think the Mavericks are better than Memphis, and the Utah is mm-hmm. going to get Donovan Mitchell back. I wasn't 100% shocked that the Jazz lost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they don't have their best player. <laughs> um, and when you don't have their your best player, I mean, that's that's inherently going to hinder your team. Now, Bogdanovich went absolutely mental in the fourth quarter. Did you see that game? No. Dude, he was ridiculous. It seemed like every single shot he put up. It was funny because I don't know how, uh, how well my dad knows the Jazz. And we're sitting there in the f- fourth quarter, and I don't know if he knows Bogdanovich. I was like, dude. Watch this guy. This guy is a killer. And then he goes mm-hmm. on and makes like the next 15 straight points. I was like, I told you. <laughs> he was single-handedly keeping the Jazz in the game. So I think the Clippers are in a worse spot. One, because the Mavericks are better. And two, the Jazz are getting Donovan Mitchell back. Um, but, I mean, good for Memphis. I mean, Memphis has won three straight, I mean, essentially playoff games. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got some swag. They play tough. Um, they got big they, time swag. They might have the most swag in the in the playoffs right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, Atlanta's got Dallas be feeling, might be up there. Atlanta's got to yeah. be feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how'd you like your guy Bogdan Bogdanovich with eighteen points, four rebounds, two assists, having a big time shot? Yeah, dude. It's Knicks. just. It's just another another Sacramento Kings player that ha- that finds success on a team in the playoffs. It's just it's just one of those things, man. It happens. See it, it happens see everywhere. it almost every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys start playing well on another team. Yeah, every year, every year. There was another guy who was it Trey Burke. Was it Trey Burke? Maybe there was Alec another Burke? Alec Burke. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he had a good game as well. George Hill in the playoffs, Kings legend. Alex Len, another Kings George legend. George Hill was the on the Kings for half a season. I know. <laughs> Dwayne Dedman in the playoffs Dwayne, too. Dwayne Dedman, yeah. Bogdanovich. Uh, Willie yeah. Cauley-Stein even in the playoffs. Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, Justin Jackson on Milwaukee, I think, now. Um, he doesn't play, though. Yeah. So you just got a bunch of – Oh, bunch Alex of Len. Games. Alex Lynn for Washington? I said Alex Lynn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he played really well. He had 12 points, three rebounds. Um, Harry Giles I, for Portland. Yeah. Our whole team. <laughs> Our whole team. A lot of former guys get – I mean, if you count Ben McLemore on the Lakers, but he hasn't logged a playoff minute yet. Yeah, that's true. Which I think is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, – Shoot, I had one more question. Um, oh yeah, did you um, did you watch the Atlanta New York game? Uh, I only saw the last shot. I didn't watch the whole game. I wouldn't be surprised if that series, every single game, plays exactly the way that <clears throat> that game played. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. With Atlanta being so offensively driven and New mm-hmm. York being so defensive driven. Um, they're two young teams. I feel like that – it wouldn't shock me in the least if those games ended up exactly the same way. And Trey Young, I haven't really gotten a chance to, like, ever really sit down and watch him play a whole game. 
Like, mm-hmm. damn, he's fast. Like, it, but, like, not – like, he's just really laterally quick. Like, the mm-hmm. crossover that he put on the last two defenders and to get from point A to point B, like, he, he just did that crossover to the right and then immediately was just gone right to the lane. It, it was just every single play. It didn't seem like any defender that they threw on Trey, he would just – he just immediately blew by them. He wasn't settling for jump shots or anything. He just got right to the paint every single time. He is so fast. Like, Russell Westbrook and De'Aaron Fox up and down the court are incredibly fast. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's a guy laterally that I've seen move faster than Trey Young. He is just so quick side to side. Westbrook is like a freight train, and so is Fox, but... I mean, Trey Young, just just how quick he is side to side is insane. Insane. And he was so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. Yeah, I, I definitely need to see a uh, – I don't really get a, an opportunity to watch a lot of Atlanta games. It'd be, it'd be nice to just sit down and watch that series because that is one of the most tightly contested series um, that we've seen in the first round. Probably. So it should be one of the best. Yeah, I feel like the Hawks-Knicks is going to be a really good series. Um, this Mavericks-Clippers has the potential to be really good. Portland mm-hmm. evened it up with the Nuggets. Um, well, the Nuggets evened it up with Portland, but yeah. Oh, I'm so, yeah, my bad. Got that flipped. Um, Denver looked good, too. Denver did look good. And who Dame knows what needs we're some get? help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had 42. <laughs> Bro, he was shooting it from the parking lot <laughs> on so many threes. It was like he was – that was like vintage Damian Lillard. You is know, he, when they, when they is he the that. best point guard in the league? Right now? No. I mean, Steph Curry is what okay, Steph Curry takes, did this Okay, year. take Steph out. <laughs> okay, so Damian Lillard is the best point guard outside of Steph Curry. Okay, yeah. So if we're I, – I mean – I was posing the question, including Steph, but if you're going to say Steph is number one, is anybody better than Dame after Steph? Um, no. Besides Fox? I mean, Fox isn't even better. Um, I guess the closest off the top of my head. Um, I don't. I don't. Th- I don't know if I would take any other point guard in the league besides Dame. No. I mean, besides Steph. No, no, there's just, there's no way. Yeah. Um, Kyrie's up there. Yeah, I'd, I'd still If Chris play. Paul, well, Chris Paul was an MVP finalist, so I don't have to put him out there. <laughs> Trey Young. Um, even what Westbrook did this year, he probably gets back up there. John Morant for maybe some people. Mm-hmm. De'Aaron, what he did. Well, he can That's still a, take Dame. Oh, Yeah. No, for sure. You take Damian Lillard. That yeah. dude does something better than anyone else in the league. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, so, yeah, so we are recording this podcast as of Tuesday. And tonight's games, I mean, do we have a prediction from you? Yeah, I got, um, I got Clippers probably evened it up. In a, I think they blow them out a little bit. I'm going to go above a 14 point win. I'll take the over on the spread. Do we have we have three games tonight? 
Yeah, you have Phoenix, LA, Clippers, yeah. Mavs, and Brooklyn, Boston. Boston. Yeah. I got Brooklyn winning again, and I'll take um, – I want to see the Lakers win. Which um, which game are you going to be more inclined to watch, the Lakers one or the Clippers one? You can't even ask me that. Do you know my roommate, Jason? Oh, that's true. Who is a that's Lakers true. fan? That's, that's he, very true. He got so mad at me when I'd switch it to the PGA Championship. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's a commercial break. And we would, we'd miss like 30 seconds of the game. And God forbid we missed a score or something. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Well, he, I mean, he loves his team. Said, oh, I gotta see, I gotta see my team. The Kings didn't even get a nationally televised game this year. Don't even, don't even talk to me. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think, um, I think for me, it's because I don't have a rooting interest for pretty much any team in the playoffs. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be just based on which one's on commercial. <laughs> just you know, that one, you know, Nuggets. Uh, Clippers and Mavs commercial. All right, cool. Lakers Suns. Here we go. <laughs> well, they're not playing at the. Are they playing at the same time? Seven and seven thirty are the start times. Why do they do that? That's what I had. That's why I had to double take, and that's why I asked because I was like, "Am I reading this right? Are there really three games on?" What time is the Brooklyn Boston game start? It's start. What well, it started eight minutes ago? Oh, hey. Yeah. So when we're done. <laughs> um, but before we finish, I do feel like I have to mention this. So. Aaron Rodgers got interviewed mm-hmm. on, on ESPN. ESPN. Yeah, on ESPN. And I have a quote from that, which I think is Let's just interesting uh, from him. Cryptic? <clears throat> he says, dot, 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 quotation marks. With my situation, look, it's never been about the draft pick, picking Jordan, Rodgers told Maine. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. We've had a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun, too. That's weird. We had a lot of fun to work together. Love the coaching staff, love love my teammates, love the fan base in Green Bay. That incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a philosophy and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. That was the quote from Rodgers. Mm-hmm. So he also said, a lot of this was put in motion last year and the wrench – was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played the way I played last year. This is just kind of, I think, a spill out of all that. But it is about the people, and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people. From Curly Lambeau being owner and founder in the 60s with Vince Lombardi and Bar Starr and all those incredible names in the 90s teams with Coach Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre and the Minister of Defense, Reggie White. To that run we've been on, it's about the people. So, so is, is Aaron going to run for office at some point? I think? don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think the telling thing, and I think that people, the thing that people are focusing on is, you know, he came out and said it's never been about the draft pick picking Jordan Love. It's mm-hmm. just kind of about a philosophy and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about character, well, it's about culture, it's about doing things the right way. Reading between the lines, if it's about the philosophy, the philosophy comes from the top. I don't think he's talking about ownership. He might be, but the, the, 
the Packers are fan based owned, aren't they? Don't they not have a majority owner? Yeah, I don't think they have an owner. Yeah, they're not fan based owned, but they're. I think they're. They don't have a majority owner that speaks for everyone. Yeah, let me let me fact check that real quick. So I think it's got to be like a president or a general manager. I know he's got that the feud with the general manager, but it might even go higher than that. And I think he just didn't like how they handled trying to move him out the door. Uh, I have right here. The Packers have been publicly owned non have been a publicly owned nonprofit corporation since August 18, 1923. Yeah. So. Oh, publicly owned. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny because he he said it's it's never been about the draft pick. It's always been about you know he said it's about the philosophy and doing things right. Well, wouldn't that wouldn't that mean that the draft pick was the problem? Because if you're doing things the right way and you're trying to build a culture and build a philosophy and build around a philosophy, wouldn't that mean that you would pick somebody to support your Hall of Fame quarterback? Like philosophy would tell you that drafting a quarterback that high and historically that would tell you that you're ready to replace your current quarterback. So it it may not be about the actual person that is mm-hmm. Jordan Love, mm-hmm. but it may have been about just the fact that that pick wasn't used on something that could immediately help the team, mm-hmm. which doesn't feel like a good team philosophy. Yeah, so he, the pick the pick was a byproduct of a of an incorrect like strategy of winning. Yeah. That's what he's really saying. It's he's saying that it's most it's like guys, if you're saying that I'm just mad about the Jordan Love draft pick, that's not deep enough. Like it goes deeper than that. Yeah. Which You're, I'm glad that he said because I think Oh, that's huge for a kid like Jordan Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine like he's living in Green Bay or in Wisconsin. He's gotta drive around and everyone's going, You're the reason that Aaron Rodgers is leaving. It's all your fault, blah, 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 blah. And he's also tasked with, I'm the replacement to Aaron Rodgers. Like, I'm the replacement to one of the best quarterbacks of all time. How is that going to work? And he struggled. And it's well-documented how he's not not seen as being ready to take over this team. And all those pressures bottling up. And Aaron Rodgers on ESPN just – pushed away a lot of those which is really nice and it's it's it honestly shows like how maybe good of a leader and a teammate Aaron Rodgers is that he's also still thinking even in this situation still thinking about his teammates yeah um, I agree I think it's I think it's big for Jordan Love and I think it's big for just the world to know that Rodgers doesn't hate Jordan Love it, it's not like <clears throat> it's, it's not like it seems well according to Rogers that they don't have uh, don't got beef yeah there's not a it's not a contentious <laughs> relationship um, he's all good with Jordan Love Jordan Love didn't do anything wrong oh uh, no and you know I'm sure that Jordan knows that but the fact that 
Aaron came out and was like, yeah, no, it's not Jordan's fault, pretty much. Like, it's that's the organization's fault. It's not Jordan's fine. I like I like the kid. So um, what is – how can the Packers mend this relationship? I don't know. I don't know. I was – so yesterday I was listening to Get Up while I was at work, and there was – I think it was Dan Graziano came on and he said that there was hope in Green Bay that a contract restructure might, might be able to mend the fences. But So like again, more money or restructuring I, to move his money to get more pieces? I'm not sure. I don't even think Dan knows. And I think at this point it's like a very slim slim hope i he did he he was making it clear that this is like this is like a like a sliver of hope like a hail mary play yeah yeah um like why don't they just trade a second round pick or a first round pick for julio jones right now and does not does that not say to aaron Rodgers, hey we're committing to you I think, I think Julio's going to be a first round at least. No, no, he's not. No team wants to give up a first round for a thirty-two-year-old injured wide receiver. Apparently, that's the word on the street. Well, Atlanta he... wants a first round. Okay, that's what. Yeah. Yeah, but they. I don't. From what I've seen, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to give that up, which is. So crazy that Julio Jones might not be worth a first round pick. Yeah. Amari Cooper was worth a first round pick. And yeah, but that, Julio Jones isn't? Yeah, but there are two different times in their career. Yeah, Julio or Amari Cooper was trash for Oakland. He <laughs> <It> wasn't trash. <laughs> um, Julio might end up in. San Fran. I don't see that happening. I don't know how they. I don't know how they get the money to make it work, and then they already lost draft capital to potentially make it work. So it's it'd be really tough for the Niners to get. I think if I don't get why Indianapolis has not already. There's a lot of teams that I don't get why they haven't made this deal yet. Well, okay, so I. So San Francisco was a name that I heard being thrown around for Julio. Apparently, but... they're, the, they're the favorite to get Julio. Right, which you're right. I don't know how they're going to do that. But one of the teams that I heard as a potential for Julio that has been my favorite so far is Baltimore. Ooh. Yeah. That, that, for me, has been the, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually. That Lamar, be... it doesn't even matter where you throw the ball. Julio will go get it. Right, exactly. And even with Lamar, Julio may not be asked to go for 15 catches mm-hmm. and 200 yards a game. Lamar's mm-hmm. going to win you games and get you downs just by running. Right. So, But to have somebody like Julio as just your, your go-to guy in a situation where you can't run, I mean... He, he really doesn't fit that offense. No, so they'd have to find a way to incorporate him. But it was one of those things where I heard it, and I was like, you know, out of all the places that probably desperately need a number one, mm-hmm. I feel like Baltimore is a perfect spot 
Trim. And you're right, Indy would be a good place too, I think, because I don't really think they have a number one. Yeah, T.Y.'s there, but he didn't have a great year last year. Yeah, and they have um, – oh, what's his name? Yeah, whatever. He's a, he's a second year dude. That's actually really good. Uh, Pittman. Michael Pittman. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, Michael yeah. Pittman. Michael Pittman. Yeah. But he would be per- – like that would put their wide receiver core from like middle of the road to one of the best. In the NFL. If you're trying to contend with Buffalo, Kansas City, and uh, Baltimore, and the Cleveland, like there are so many offenses that are high powered in the AFC, and Indy just adding Julio would be so good for Carson Wentz. That feels such a good, like a, an awesome target for Carson Wentz to be thrown, throwing the ball to. And probably just. You know, confidence-wise, mm-hmm. just be a huge boost in that sense too. Yeah, they're throwing in gym shorts, and he's just throwing maybe what he would consider not very good throws, and Julio's still coming down with them. Yeah. It's like, wait, whoa, maybe I don't need to. I don't need like a perfect throw, and this guy's still making me look good. Right. And Carson really hasn't had that. He had that a little bit in Zach Ertz and um, Alshon when Alshon was pretty good. Right, but none of those are on the same, are on the left. No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. Green Bay, yeah. You know what makes sense? Uh, If Houston traded for Julio. Well, they need to get other things sorted. (laughs) (laughs) That would be such a Houston move. New England is another place that I've heard being thrown around. Mm-hmm. I'm just going through the list of teams right now. Um, hell, the Jets could probably use a number one, but he ain't going there. He said he wants to win, so he ain't going there. Um, Dallas, he's not going to. He's not going to Dallas. Could he go to Washington? I was just looking at Washington. Um, That'd be sick with him and Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, where else? Somebody said the Chargers. <laughs> That'd be dirty. Yeah, the Chargers were another name that got thrown out. I heard the Chargers. I heard New England. I heard San Fran. I heard Baltimore. Those were Denver. really. I didn't hear Denver. I mean, uh, I could see them going there. Did yeah. Chicago sign Allen Robinson? Yeah. Okay. Then they wouldn't need him. Yeah. But he, um, I also saw that Atlanta doesn't want to trade him to an NFC team. Oh. So, so that kind of hurts. Okay. Well, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore and the Chargers. God, if he went to the Chargers, him and Keenan Allen, that would suck. That would depending suck. on depending on it, on what Atlanta is asking for. Like, this could be a big-time swing for Super Bowl odds. Say, like, say like he's only garnering a second or third-round pick. If you're a team like Buffalo, why not go get Julio? Well, I don't know. You're not going to get – well, I don't know. How, I guess it would be how cheap you think you can reasonably get Julio. 
Which oh, um, Tennessee too. Tennessee oh yeah, could use him. yeah, ten, yeah, they could because they um they, they just lost, lost one. Of the, yeah, it's real interesting, man. It, I never thought we would be sitting here and Julio Jones would be traded. Well, he's been out of loved Atlanta. by that fan base, and you know, to the new ownership and the new coach to come in and be like, "I see ya." <laughs> <laughs> And I think they have to wait until after June 1st because I think there's a cap implication with trading him. That'll uh-huh. be more friendly after June 1st. So nothing's probably going to happen for at least a week. Um, but I don't know. It, I mean, it depends, too, if, uh, if Atlanta is willing to eat up some of that money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, I mean, we could realistically be on here next week I mean, if they, if they make a move on June 1st, we could be on here next week going, well, Julio Jones is about to get traded to X, Y, and Z. <laughs> yeah. Or X, Y, or Z. That's crazy. So. And then Rodgers, man, I, it's going to be so interesting if he does get traded to talk about the implications of what that is going to create. That team will, whatever he goes to, will immediately fall to, you know, a Super Bowl contender. Um so how long? Wait, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. How long do you think he holds out? Okay, well, he so he didn't show up to the OTAs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are voluntary. I don't know when training camp starts. Um, I guess the question is, is and. You know, this would be us trying to psychoanalyze Aaron Rodgers, which is impossible. But I guess the question is, because I heard this a while back, too, is when does he become the villain? Because I think up until now, most people have been siding with him. But if he starts to miss mandatory team events and is now negatively affecting the team, you know, would public opinion shift on him? And would that be something that he would look at and go, "Mm, this isn't good for me? Um, I don't have the time or the expertise to go into that, but right. Um, I think we gotta we gotta wrap it here. Yeah, I think I think it's a good place to stop because it's it'll be a question. It's a question that's impossible to answer, and until he gets traded or blatantly comes out and says this is where I want to go, we'll never know. But I think um, there there is just so many things. That puts Rodgers in such a sympathetic view. I mean, the fact that Green Bay hasn't drafted an offensive player in the first round in so many years until Jordan Love is crazy. And just the fact that they've had continued um, disappointing finishes, some of which are kind of out of Rodgers' control. I think all those things really help Rodgers in that light. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, who knows what's going to happen next week. Next week could be very interesting because once June 1st comes around, you know, there are a lot of movement. There's a lot of movement that could take place right at around June 1st. So we could be on here next week and the week after talking about NBA playoffs plus two big moves in the NFL. So that'll be fun. Hopefully those get made soon. It'll certainly be a busy, busy time in the sports world once that news breaks. So 
That'll wrap it for us on episode 91 of Nothing to Say, the Fans Podcast. Again, if you've stayed with us this long, we really do appreciate it. We're getting close to episode 100. We'll have to do something special for episode 100. Not sure what it's going to be yet, but we'll have, I have something have a great idea. Up. Oh, perfect. Well, we'll have something <laughs> lined up for you guys on episode 100. So have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. Stay safe, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.